So today we start a new series to the book of Jonah, which I'm very excited for. Uh, chances are that, you know, if you went out onto the streets of downtown Smith Falls, if that's even something that exists, and you asked people, have you heard of Jonah? Most of them would probably say yes. I mean, Jonah, isn't that the guy who, you know, got swallowed by a whale and lived in a whale's stomach for three days? You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a popular book. We've probably all been to about 10 different VBSs that the theme was Jonah and the whale. Everybody knows the story of Jonah and the whale, but the book of Jonah is far more than a guy being swallowed by a whale. I mean, if that's all we get out of the book of Jonah, then we have missed the point. And so today, today's sermon is going to lay the groundwork for our study of this book so that we don't miss the point. See, before you study any book of God's Word, it's important to look at the background of the book so that we can properly understand its message. And so I want to look at three things this morning. First, what are the themes of Jonah that we should be looking for? Another way of saying this is, is what is Jonah really about? I mean, every book of the Bible has themes that are going to inform its purpose and message that it's trying to convey. And so we want to properly understand the themes so that we can better understand the purpose, so that we can better apply the purpose of the book to our own lives. And so if someone asks you, you know, what is the book of Jonah about? Your answer, hopefully, by the end of the study can be more than you know, he gets swallowed by a whale. And second, I want to look at the question of why study the book of Jonah? You have all the books of the Bible to choose from. Why are we looking at Jonah? And what can we seek to get as a congregation from this book? Now, why is Jonah a book that is needed now in our time? That's the second thing. Why study the book? And then third, we're going to look at the first three verses uh, of this book so that we can get a, a picture of the setting of, of the story. Uh, we're going to look at the main characters of this story. We're going to look at the call on Jonah's life. And then we're going to look at the response of Jonah. And then finally, we'll look at how, how, how all of this really parallels and plays into our situation as a church today. And so first then, what are the themes of Jonah? So Jonah is a unique book. It's located within the, the minor prophets uh, within our Bible, but it's very different than the prophetic books. I mean, for example, in most of the prophetic books, the focus is on the message. God raises up, it says, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, the word of the Lord came to Micah, and then the focus is on the message that these people are bringing to Israel. But Jonah's very different, because the focus of Jonah is not on the message, the focus is on Jonah. You see, Jonah himself is the message. I mean, if you think about it, Jonah's prophetic message is really only eight words. You know, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. That's all. That's the only message that Jonah gives in this book. The rest of the book focuses on him and his response and his attitude in comparison to that of God's. And so Jonah himself is the message. Now, one of the ways that the author conveys this message to us is through the use of typology. Now, I've mentioned typology before. Typology is like a nonverbal message or prophecy that 
that points to something. The Bible, for example, says, we read in 1 Peter, that the flood, it calls it a type of baptism. That is to say that the flood pointed to baptism. It pictured baptism. Likewise, the book of Jonah is full of typology. For example, Jonah really represents more than just himself. He represents the whole nation of Israel at the time. I mean, he's callous to God. He, he refuses to repent even though his life and the life of his people are in danger. Even when he is shown grace, he will not show it to others. And this really represents the Israelites in the time of Jonah, which we're gonna, we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Another example of typology is that Jesus actually calls Jonah a type of Christ. So you can flip in your Bibles to Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41, where Jesus mentions that Jonah is a, is a type of Christ. And now when I read this, I often think, why did, why did Jesus pick Jonah? I mean, of all the prophets to pick, of all the prophets that were obedient to God, of all the prophets that took pleasure and joy in their ministries, why pick Jonah? I mean, someone who doesn't follow God's command. And I think we see that uh, in Matthew 12, verse 38 to 41, uh, which says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus here relates himself to Jonah. But note that he, he, he does not say, another Jonah is here. What does he say? He says something greater than Jonah is here. You see, Jonah is the disobedient prophet. Jesus is the obedient prophet. Jonah is the prophet who runs from the call of God. Jesus is the prophet who embraces the call of God. Jonah spent three days in a whale protected from death. Jesus spent three days in the grave and was raised in victory over death. And so as we study through, we need to look for this typology that the author is trying to show us because it rightly points us to Christ. And so that's the, that's the first thing, the first theme to understand in Jonah, that, that this is a book of, of typology. Now the second uh, is the theme of irony. Irony. See, Jonah is a book where you, know, you should laugh occasionally as we are going through. Now the author, who, who likely isn't Jonah, he goes through like great lengths to reveal the irony in Jonah's life. For example, I find it really funny that Jonah is probably the most successful prophet to ever come out of Israel. I mean, think about it. On the boat, he interacts with the Gentile sailors, and what do they do? They end up repenting and offering sacrifices to God. And then he goes to Nineveh, and he, he preaches the gospel there. And not only do the people, but the king, it says from the least of these to the greatest, it even says 
that the cattle and the livestock of the field are covered in sackcloth and put on a fast because of Jonah's message. You see, everyone that, every Gentile that Jonah actually speaks to ends up repenting. But Jonah is also the most, like any other prophet that would have that type of success in ministry would be like, wow, this is amazing. And yet Jonah is angry and he's upset about it. There's, there's irony that is used in the story of Jonah very, very heavily to teach us about ourselves and about God. And so we need to make sure that we understand this irony in order to understand the book. All right, so we have typology, we have irony. Next, a major theme in this book is mission. See, if you read through the book of Jonah and you don't come away with some sense of, of mission, you've completely missed the point of the book of Jonah. You see, Jonah is a, is a unique book in that it's the only incident of a prophet being explicitly sent to a Gentile nation to proclaim a message from God. There are, there are oracles that we have recorded, you know, an oracle against the nation of Moab or an oracle against Babylon, but there is nothing where a, a prophet is physically sent to another Gentile nation town where he preaches the word of God. And so Jonah is unique in that way, and that raises the question... You know, if Jonah is being sent, what was, what was Israel's relationship with the other nations meant to be? Were they to be, you know, separate from the nations, not really having any communication with them? Or were they to, to go to the nations and to teach them and, and, and introduce them to Yahweh, their God? You know, what was this relationship that we see in the Old Testament? Well, let me read uh, a few passages for you. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read them quick. Exodus 19, verse 5 to 6. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So in this passage, the people have just been brought out of uh, Egypt. They're about to make the covenant with God on Mount Sinai. He's about to give them the Ten Commandments. And he says to them, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He says, all the earth is mine, but you are special. You're my treasured possession. And so they were meant to be priests who, who interceded, who taught, and who led the other nations to God. That's why they were a kingdom of priests. You have individual priests, but then you have one nation itself that is a priest that brings the nations to God. And then Deuteronomy 4, verse 6 to 8 Again, before giving the Ten Commandments, says, Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as, our, as the Lord our God is to us, whoever, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as this law that I set before you today. You see, the nations are supposed to look at the covenant that Israel has formed with their God, and they're to look at their obedience to this covenant, and they're supposed to be drawn in through that to say, wow, look at this nation. Look at their living and their righteousness. And so all of that to say, God's, God's grace, God's mercy, God's righteousness, God himself was never really meant for only Israel. And God's desire was to bless all nations 
through the seed of Abraham. That's Genesis 12. You know, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Israel was really to function like a a mailman. That's how I've heard someone say it before, a mailman. They were given the messages of salvation, the way of salvation, and their responsibility was to deliver and to bring those to the Gentiles by their actions and their words. Now, the problem was, if we, if we read through uh, the Bible, Israel failed miserably at this. You know, rather than being a light to the nations, they were eventually destroyed by the nations. Rather than being a kingdom of priests, they ended up slandering the very call that they had from God. And Jonah is, is really a, a perfect example of this, this attitude. You know, Israel, rather than, than being joyful and, and, and wanting to bring the nations to them and, and wanting to be an example to the nations, you know, they fought against it. And really, that's why, that's why Christ needed to come. You read the first three chapters of Ephesians, and you see that uh, because Israel failed to bring the Gentiles into the commonwealth and, and bring them to Christ, Christ needed to come to be the one to break down the wall and the barrier of hostility. Ephesians 3 verse 6 says that the mystery of Christ is revealed in that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. See, in Jesus, the Gentiles are brought into the people of God and become heirs to the promises of God. So this theme of God's mission to the Gentiles is really brought to the the forefront of of the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. And we don't want to to miss it like the Israelites missed it. And so then the final theme, that's the, the third theme, mission, the final theme I want to talk about, and what I think is really the, the main idea of the book, which, which also happens to be the main idea of the grand narrative of the Bible as well, is the grace of God to undeserving sinners. The grace of God to undeserving sinners. See, the book of Jonah centers on the gracious character of God. The pinnacle, the, the climax of the story is Jonah 4, verse 2, where Jonah says, For I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God. And we see this throughout the whole story. God is showing his gracious character. He's gracious to Jonah. Jonah completely rebels against God, and God doesn't strike him down. He shows him grace. God sends him into the, uh, the waters, and he doesn't let him drown. He shows him grace. He sends the whale to protect him. The soldiers are standing there, worshiping, calling out to these, these false deities, and God doesn't strike them down. He sends them grace. He calms the storm for them. The people of Nineveh are evil. God, instead of destroying them, which he had every right to do, sends a prophet to them and, and gives them a period of 40 days to repent. See, God is gracious. God shows his unmerited grace to undeserving sinners. That's really the, the theme of the book of Jonah. And so that's what we're going to see as we, as we move through our study, the, the idea of typology, irony, mission, and the grace of God to undeserving sinners. Now, there's a lot more themes, but those are really some major ones that will help us to understand the purpose uh, of this book. Now, the second question I want to look at is, is why study the book of Jonah? I mean, what does a grumpy old prophet from northern Israel have to do with me? Why are we spending our time studying this book. Well, I had three things 
uh, in mind when I decided, you know, I think as a church we should preach through the book of Jonah. And first, Jonah focuses us on the mission of God. Jonah and the Israelites, they've, they've lost sight of the mission of God. They've lost sight of the God of grace. They received the, the blessing and the grace of God themselves, yet they were unwilling or not wanting to extend that same grace to others. If I'm honest, I think the church today reflects a similar situation. Now we need to ask ourselves, have we, have we lost sight of the mission of God? Have we become so focused on political or social happenings that we've forgotten why we are here? And we're commanded by Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Have we lost sight of that? Now let me ask you a a question so that you can diagnose your own heart. When is the last time that you shared the gospel with an unbeliever? When's the last time you shared the gospel with an unbeliever? If the mission of God is that we are to go and make disciples of all nations, one way to diagnose that is, when's the last time you've done that? And compare that to, you know, when was the last time you had a conversation with an unbeliever about the vaccine or about politics? Have we gotten wrongfully focused in on things that aren't really part of God's mission and God's plan for us. And so I'm praying that as we study through this book, that the Lord would put a desire on all of our hearts to return to the mission of God. No, I am, I'm guilty of this. I have not, I have not, I've been distracted from what, from what really matters. Uh, and I, I publicly repent right now to you guys that, that I've, I have, I've not focused on that. I've, the last time I've shared the gospel with an unbeliever has been a while. And, uh, and, and I've, I've failed. And I think a lot of us have failed. And so we need to focus back on God's mission for us. And that's my prayer uh, as we study the book of Jonah. Now, a second reason why we study Jonah is because it challenges our views of unbelievers. Over the past few years with COVID and, and with other things, there's, there has been, I'm not sure if you've noticed, there's been a, a greater divide between people who disagree. It's, it's, it's greater and it's only getting greater. And as a result, that's, that's created, unfortunately, even in Christians, an us versus them mentality. You know, this is my tribe and I'm sticking to it. The line has been drawn in the sand and you are either on our side or you're against us. It's the conservatives against the liberals. It's the blacks against the whites. It's the open churches against the closed churches. The book of Jonah is a rebuke against this kind of tribalism. It's a rebuke against its main character, Jonah, and his attitudes towards those outside of Israel. And so as we go through, you need to reflect on this. You know, is your attitude more like Jonah's or is it more like God's? Do you have a genuine desire to see your enemies repent? Or do you have a desire to call fire down on them? Like the, the sons of thunder, uh, John and James. Now, I'll give you a hint. When we read through the Bible, 
we often, you know, place ourselves as the good person. You know, I'm, I'm more like God in this. Well, to be honest, you're probably more like Jonah. Rarely ever are we more like God in the stories of the Bible. It's like the story of David. We're not, we're not David out there slaying the giants. We're the Israelites hiding away in the camp, afraid, afraid to face uh, our enemies. And Jesus is David. He's the one that comes and slays the enemy of sin and death so that us, his people, can have his victory. And so you're, you're not God in the story. You're Jonah in the story. But that leads to the final reason why we are studying Jonah. And that's that we can have a greater understanding of the heart and character of God. That we can not be like Jonah. No, we serve a God who works in mysterious ways and yet has clearly revealed who he is to us. Now we see his sovereignty over all creation, and yet we also see his concern for the smallest part of creation. We see his, his justice and his hatred of evil. You know, the stench the, of, of Nineveh comes up before him, yet we also see his grace and his mercy in repentance. See, Jonah doesn't, Jonah doesn't see how it can be both ways. Jonah wants a, wants a God of his own making, a God who, you know, smites the bad people and a God who blesses the good people. But that's not how our relationship with God works. You know, God doesn't conform to our beliefs about God. We don't say, I think God should be this way, therefore God is that way. No, instead, we, we conform our beliefs to the character of the unchanging God. And so the goal then is that we leave studying the book of Jonah with hearts that are aligned more with the heart and character of God rather than the heart and character of Jonah. So now we've looked at the themes of Jonah and we've looked at why we should study the book of Jonah. We're ready now to get into the book of Jonah. So just three verses this morning. Jonah 1, verses 1 to 3a. If you're not there already, turn to them and I will read them for us. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And so let's quickly look at now three observations of the text that make up our our setting of our story. Every story, Jonah's a story, every story has a setting. And the first part of the setting is that we are introduced to our main characters. And so our first main character, the protagonist of the story, is God. It's the Lord. It's, it's Yahweh, the personal covenant God of Israel. Verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah. See, all that, all that happens in the book of Jonah happens within the control of Yahweh. This is, this is God's story. This is God that is directing the story. The book of Jonah exists because it is God who sees a problem and he decides to deal with it. And so he calls Jonah. And now that leads to our second character, you know, the antagonist, who is Jonah. Now Jonah is only mentioned in one other place in the Old Testament, so we don't know too much about him. But we can glean some information from 2 Kings 14, verse 25, which says, Jeroboam II was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from 
Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea, in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. And so we see that Jonah, from this verse, lived during the time of Jeroboam II. Now, if you know a little bit about your history of the kings of Israel, Jeroboam was the king of the northern nation of Israel uh, for about 40 years, from around 785 to 745 B.C. And this was a time of prosperity and national pride for the people of Israel. See, according to the prophecy of Jonah, it says under Jeroboam, Israel would, would gain back all of the land that they had lost over the years. They would restore their boundaries to the boundaries that were promised to Solomon and to David. And that was exactly what happened during Jeroboam's reign. And so times, times were good. Times were good for Israel at this point. Yet as, as Charles Dickens says, you know, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Israel, though financially prosperous, Israel, though militarily prosperous, it was a rotten nation to the core. There was rampant idolatry. There was neglecting of the poor. There was hatred for Gentiles. And most importantly, there was a, a failure to recognize the breaches of their covenant with God. See, during this period, two prophets were sent uh, to the nation of Israel, Hosea and Amos. And both of them were sent to call Israel back to repentance. But it was to no avail. In fact, Amos got kicked out of Israel for coming and preaching that message. You see, Israel was very comfortable with where it was at. It liked its money, it liked its pride, and it didn't need anything else. Now, Jonah, we'll see throughout the story, was, was very similar to Israel in many ways. He was very proud in his country. He was callous when it came to repenting to God. And he was so anti-Gentile, or at least anti-Assyrian, <coughs> that he would rather disobey God. He'd rather disobey a direct command of God than to go to Nineveh. And we're going to see later in, in chapter 1 that Jonah, he's very proud to be one of the people of God. And when they, when they ask him on the boat, who are you? He's, he very proudly says, I am a Hebrew. Yet he doesn't reflect the God that he's so proud to worship. And so that's Jonah, our second character. Now looking at our final character, we see that it is Nineveh. Verse 2 says, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Now Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. I'm not sure how much you know about the Assyrian Empire empire, but they're arguably one of the most brutal and evil empires to ever exist. I was, I was like, let me give you, let me give a couple examples of, of what the Assyrian empire would do. And as I was reading through some of the things, uh, I was like, this isn't, isn't even appropriate to say in church what the Assyrian empire would do to their enemies. I can't repeat them. They're so vile and gruesome. You know, they make modern day conquerors look merciful. You know, they, make, they make burning at the stake something, something to be desired if you're captured by these people. They were, they were evil and wicked people to the core. And they had been at odds with Israel for a while. You know, the Assyrian Empire was the dominant force in the Middle East throughout uh, much of the northern nation Israel's history. 
<coughs> and Israel was forced to pay tribute, or, and tribute is just paying money to Assyria. If we know our Bible history then, we see that the Assyrians eventually you know, are, are, are raised up to be the nation that comes and destroys the nation of Israel in 722 B.C. And so all that to say, you know, I, I think I do, I do sympathize a little bit with Jonah. I mean, Jonah, Jonah is, he's being sent to the, the people that are really the greatest enemy of the people of God. And so it's a little understandable that, that he's not a fan of Nineveh. He's not a fan of, of Assyria because of their history. Yet, this is the very place that God is going to call him. And so now let's look at that, at that call. Let's look at the, the second thing here uh, of our setting, the call on Jonah. Verses 1 and 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So Jonah is a prophet. The word comes to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so the book here starts off the exact same way that all the other prophetic books start. But immediately it becomes much different. Because I mentioned Yahweh has never sent a prophet to go directly into a Gentile city <coughs> and preach the word of Yahweh from there. But Jonah is now being called to Nineveh. And the reason for that, the passage says, is because their evil has come up before the Lord. Now in Hebrew, that literally means that their, their evil has come before my face. You see, Nineveh has always been evil. It's not as if Nineveh was more evil now than they were before, but it's reached a point where God is now going to do something about it. It's, it's not avoidable any longer. Something needs to be done. You know, a few weeks ago, I was picking up some solar panels from this Mennonite guy at his farm, and after they were loaded into my van, I noticed this terrible smell. And since I was driving, I could, you know, roll down the windows. Uh, I, could, I could deal with it. I could avoid it or at least ignore it for a little while. But eventually, you know, the smell got so terrible that I had to deal with the problem. I couldn't avoid it anymore. Now, it turns out there was a, a, a dead squirrel being eaten by maggots uh, in my solar panels. But that's besides the point. The point is that, that God has had enough. He's had enough of Nineveh's wickedness. And he is now sending Jonah to call out against them. He, he, it can't be avoided anymore. Now, we don't know the exact message that Jonah has told the preacher. We don't know if God gives him even the message here. He just says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it says, arise and go to Nineveh. I also found it interesting as I was, as I was reading the prodigal son. Uh, you see that same theme. You know, the son arose. The son arose uh, and went. And, it, and it's, it's, I think, playing off of Jonah here. Multiple times Jonah has said to arise and go. And so Jonah is, is called to go to uh, Nineveh. And we don't know his exact message. We get that later in chapter 3. But the point right now is not the message. The point is not the message that Jonah is going to preach. The point is the place that Jonah is going. And he's going to Nineveh. Wicked, evil Nineveh. The, the epitome of the Gentiles who have rejected God. But now what's even more surprising, that's very surprising that God would send someone there, but it's even more surprising than the fact that God is sending Jonah is, the, is what Jonah does next. And that's Jonah's response. Look at verse 3a. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord. And so Nineveh, I was going to have a map, but I forgot to do it. Nineveh geographically is like northeast of, of Israel. And Jonah, instead of, instead of going northeast to Nineveh, he actually goes completely the opposite way. He goes west as far as he can to, to Tarshish. So, <coughs> sorry, Tarshish is, is like, they're not really sure, there's no uh, recorded place, but what most people think is it was the furthest western port uh, on the Mediterranean Sea. And so Jonah, who, the Israelites, they hated water. I mean, the Israelites aren't, aren't bordering any water. Uh, they were never known for being uh, sailors or, or, or anything like that. But Jonah is like, you know, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm going to flee <coughs> from the call of God. It's like God telling me to go to, you know, Quebec City, uh, those Ninevites there. And instead, I take off and go to Vancouver. I say, I don't want anything to do with that. And Jonah not only, you know, disregards the call on, on his life, but he really, he really spits in God's face. You know, he says, I'm not only going to not go this way, I'm actually going to go the complete opposite way that you're calling me to go. <clears throat> and now that raises the question, why? Why didn't Jonah go? I mean, why is he, why is he justifying to himself that he is able to disobey the call of God? Now, some think that, that he didn't go because he was a coward. You know, he was afraid of the people of Nineveh. He had heard the stories. He had heard what they did to their enemies. I mean, what are they going to think when a, when a prophet from Israel comes and goes and, and tells them to repent or their God is going to destroy them? It would be like a, it would be like a, a rabbi in the middle of, uh, of World War II going out into the streets of Nazi Germany in 1941 and saying, hey, you guys all need to repent uh, of the way that you've been behaving. You know, it's, he, does he think this is a, a suicide mission that he's been put on. Well, I don't think fear is his reason for not going. You know, later in chapter 2, we're going to see that Jonah is, or sorry, it's later in chapter 1, Jonah is sleeping in the middle of this sea squall. Like, the storm is raging around him. Actually, I think that, that's another reason where Jesus says Jonah is a type. Jesus is the one who sleeps in the middle of the storm, and his disciples are, are going crazy. Um, and Jonah's there sleeping. So he's not really a, a, a fearful guy necessarily. Well, then maybe he doesn't go because he thinks it's a lost cause. I mean, like, come on. Are these wicked pagans really going to repent when they hear my message? I mean, they're the ones that are dominating the Middle East right now. They don't care about what some foreign god has to say. And besides, haven't other prophets already said that Assyria is going to be destroyed? So why would I go? Why would I go call them to repent when I know, God, you're going to destroy them anyways? I don't see a reason for it. Now, maybe he assumed that since he couldn't see any good reasons, that there weren't any. <coughs> and we know, I think we know what that's like. We can, we can empathize. We can sympathize with Jonah there. I mean, we can sometimes do that. God is calling us to do something, but we don't see a reason for it, and therefore we don't do it. Now, why would I... Why would I share the gospel with my coworkers? They're just going to laugh at me. You know, why would I abstain and, and wait to have uh, sex with my partner that I'm not married to when we're just going to get married anyways? I mean, what's the big deal, whether it's a couple months before or, a couple month, or, or the day after? You know, we sometimes say, if we can't see a reason for it, 
then, then, then why should we do it? And so I think that might be playing into Jonah's mind a little bit, but I think the ultimate reason that Jonah doesn't go is not because he's worried that he will fail. It's actually the opposite. You know, Jonah is worried that he's going to succeed. You know, that's what he'll say later in Jonah 4, <coughs> where it says after the Ninevites repent, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet back in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. See, Jonah fled because he knew that God is gracious, and he knew that God is merciful to those who repent. And he knew that his own generation, the people of Israel, would be put to shame because they had failed to repent all of these years, and yet Nineveh, the pagans, the, the idolaters, the rebels against God, were going to repent when God showed them mercy. You see, Jonah knew the consequences that God had promised for those who break his covenant. He knew that Yahweh told Israel that if they continue in their sin and they did not repent, that there would be consequences. Deuteronomy 28, which pretty much frames uh, the whole teaching of the prophets, lays out the blessings and the curses of covenant faithfulness or covenant disobedience to God. And one of the curses that's laid out in Deuteronomy 28 says that if the people do not obey the voice of the Lord, that God was going to send in another nation to punish them and to carry them away into exile. And Jonah knew this. And he knew that if, if he went and preached to Assyria, <coughs> that God might be merciful to them. And that because God might be merciful to them and he would not destroy them, that one day they would eventually be the nation that would be raised up to come and take his people off to exile. You see, Jonah, he's hoping that, it, that Assyria is destroyed not saved. He doesn't want any, any mercy to be shown to them, just their punishment. He wants to play no part in helping an enemy nation that will one day conquer his own. So he's not a coward. He's a patriot. He's a patriot, he except the problem is he becomes so patriotic that he becomes idolatrous. He loves Israel, his country, more than he loves God. And he hates Assyria more than then he loves God. His loyalty lies with his nation, not his God. And so he disobeys the call of the Lord. And so now let me finish with this. And if you've been drifting away, now's the time to, to come back and, and listen up. What does this mean for our lives? So we've talked about Jonah, we've talked about his call, we've talked about his response. What does that mean for our own lives? Well, we need to check our own hearts. I mean, you're probably you're probably more like Jonah than you might think. Are you, are you loyal to something more than you're loyal to God? Do you love something more than you love God? Now, for most of us, it's not going to be the same thing as Jonah. It's not going to be our country. Most of us aren't real staunch patriots like Jonah. But is it something else? Is it your money? Is it your job? Is it your comfort to live a, a cozy and healthy and, and padded life? Is it, is it the desire to 
go through life down the lazy river than to, to have a few rapids here and there? Is it your health? Is it your doctrinal convictions? <coughs> Is it your spouses? Is it even your family? Do you love these things more than you love God? And are they preventing you from obeying God's call for you? See, God has called us to go and to make disciples of all nations. He calls us to go to the Gentiles, which in the New Testament is represented as the unbelievers, all of those who are outside of the faith. Now, can you honestly say that you are doing that? Because if you're not, you're just like Jonah, rejecting the call of God on your life. And so you need to ask, why? Why aren't you doing that? Is it because, like Jonah, you love something more than you love God? Is it because you fear something, your friends, your, your family, your co-workers, more than you fear God? Is it because you are fine with receiving the grace of God but see no need to bring that to others? See, we've been called just like Jonah has been called. And we need to be faithful to our call. We need to be Christians who, who hear the words of Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We need to hear those words and we need to obey those words. You see, God has called us. Now will you flee to Tarshish? Will you keep your mouth shut so your friends don't think you're a religious weirdo? Will you spend your whole life <coughs> living the gospel but never speaking it? Or will you go and will you proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ even when it's hard, even when it's to Nineveh? That's, that's the call for us as Christians. Let's pray.